What does it mean to be in love? Hey guys, welcome to Your Extraordinary Existence, a podcast that explores the beautiful and hard parts of life and how you can use the greatness that's already inside of you to create the life you want. I'm your host, Victoria Spadaccini. I am a certified life coach in New York City, and I am so excited to be with you guys today. Being in love is so profound. It truly is a life-affirming experience that I think everyone deserves to have. And what I think is really interesting about love is that it really is the ultimate mindfulness. When you're in love, when you're really with that person, you're so present. And there are so many layers and definitions of what being in love means. Now, let's just take a step back and just look at the word love. Now, when I think about real, genuine love, to me, real love is when you deeply care about the well-being of a person. So much that you would go out of your way to make sure that they're okay, that they're happy. You really want the best in life for that person. That's pure love. So think of a person that you've said, I love you, to. This is my test to see if, if the love is real. If that person wasn't doing anything for you, if they changed how they interacted with you, if they didn't give you all the things that you wanted from them, would you still love them? Would you still care about them having the best life they possibly can? Do you care about their well-being outside of yourself? If the answer is yes, that's love. And if the answer is no, then it's just time to take a step back and really give yourself the time to understand what love means to you. Part of the reason I'm doing this episode is because I think there's there's a big confusion between love and attachment. And that has a lot to do with the examples that we had growing up. In particular, aside from your parents, of course, I think it has a lot to do with what we were fed through pop culture and movies and romantic comedies and all of the different ways that they kind of set up visuals for us to, whether it was on purpose or not, accidentally expect this like movie cinematic quality to love. Think about the guy chasing the girl in the rain at the end of the movie or the couple who's at a New Year's Eve party and the clock is counting down and right as it strikes midnight, they confess their undying affection through a list of reasons they love each other. Or the classic guy with a guitar or some sort of public display of affection through music. And these are all, these are all very sweet and people do them and it's wonderful And it's not the only way to express your love. And it doesn't show us any point of reference for longevity or what it means to be good at loving someone or being loved after the initial passion fades. But what happens in our bodies when we we fall in love? Well, let's check out the chemical breakdown. So according to scientists at Rutgers, it can be broken down into three categories. Lust attraction, and attachment. 
So each of those has its own set of hormones that come from your brain. So during lust, the hypothalamus stimulates testosterone and estrogen. So I think of testosterone as the action hormone because it creates aggressive behavior. It can drive the person to really pursue the person that they're lusting after. It also increases libido. So when you're ready to jump someone's bones, it's the testosterone at work. And during attraction, you feel this magnetic pull to the person that you're romantically interested in, that you're attracted to. And that's all because of dopamine. I mean, attraction is really about the brain's reward centers, aka dopamine, aka the pleasure pathway. So dopamine is known for causing seeking behavior. People who are releasing dopamine are looking for things that make them feel good, like sex or food or other types of enjoyment. In attraction, you also release norepinephrine. Hopefully I said that right. Norepinephrine. You release norepinephrine during attraction, um, and that gives you kind of like that childlike hyper giddiness and, and euphoria and excitement. And it even is proven to, to lead to a decreased need for eating or sleeping. So if you're in love and you're wondering why you have insomnia and have no appetite, there you go. Thanks, norepinephrine. Killing it on that pronunciation. Okay. And then, of course, there's attachment. So in attachment, the primary hormones here appear to be oxytocin and vasopressin. Oxytocin is famously called the love hormone or the cuddle chemical because it's released when people are physically affectionate, when there's skin-to-skin contact. Um, one study even showed that it's, it's released when you play with your dog. And oxytocin is really important for human beings because it helps us create connections, bonds, trusts, and in fact, it also can lead to sort of rejecting other people that you don't feel as connected to. You know, it creates this like in or out mentality. And also, there's kind of a behavior loop that happens with oxytocin. The more time you spend with your partner, the more oxytocin you produce, the more you want them. And the reward centers are lit up and it just continues. So time with your romantic partner equals more love hormones, essentially. And then vasopressin is a hormone connected to the type of behavior that leads to long-term monogamous relationships. So Harvard says the differences in behavior associated with the actions of these two hormones could explain why passionate love fades as attachment grows. And they also say that love deactivates the neural pathway responsible for negative emotions like social judgment or fear. So as they put it, that's the neural basis for the ancient wisdom, love is blind. In other words, when you're in love, you really do become less judgmental of the person you're with. Or in a different world, you find someone who's wearing red flags as a sweater and marry them anyway. Hopefully not the case. But either way, the experience of love is intense and its impact on your body and your mind and your behavior is undeniable. It seems as if our bodies were designed to make sure that we would sustain love when we find it. I was listening to Abraham Hicks yesterday in a podcast. I I love podcasts. That's why I'm making this. And the way that he put it, I thought, was so true. People fall in love, he said, when they are in vibrational equivalency. So in other words, 
you choose people who are on the same wavelength as you, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It may not appear that way, for better or worse, but I think that people meet each other where they are. So if you're currently in love, I'm so happy for you. And I hope you're being good to each other. I hope you're being good to yourself. And if you're not in love with somebody, that's okay. Because I was talking about earlier, Abraham Hicks said that it's all about meeting somebody who's on the same frequency as you, who has the vibrational equivalency as you. In other words, what you put out is what you're going to get back. And so just put out your best self and, you know, it will come to you. I know that sounds very like law of attraction-y, but that law of attraction is true. And sometimes before you fall in love, you really need to fall in love with yourself. I know that's cheesy, but think about it like this. You can't love anybody really well if you're upset with yourself, if you don't love yourself. Because what will happen is that the things you don't like about yourself will start to become an issue in your relationship. It might not show up in obvious ways. It might show up in projection or frustration, conflict, etc. But until you really understand and feel comfortable with spending time with you and getting to know you and what you want and what you need and why you even want a relationship, once you have that down, you know, it'll all fall into place. I'm going to leave you with a story by Shel Silverstein. It's called The Missing Piece Meets the Big O. So imagine a triangle with two eyes sort of just sitting on the floor. That's the main character, the missing piece. And then we have all of these Pac-Men looking circles surrounding it with little mouths that the, that the missing piece would go into. And so the missing piece found a lot of different Pac-Men, let's call them, to fit itself into. So some would fit, but they couldn't go anywhere together. And others could go with the missing piece, but it didn't fit. One put it on a pedestal and left it there. Some had too many pieces missing. Some had too many pieces completely. And the missing piece learned to hide from the hungry ones. And so this missing piece tried to make itself more attractive, and that didn't help. It, it put huge flashy signs around it, which just frightened people away. And finally, one came along that fit just right. So the missing piece and that Pac-Man type O were together kind of frolicking through the flowers and there's a butterfly over their head. But then all of a sudden, this missing piece began to grow and it got bigger and it didn't fit anymore. And the O said, I didn't know you were going to grow. And the missing piece said, I didn't know I was going to grow either. And so the O said, I'm, I'm looking for my missing piece that won't increase. And one day, the missing piece saw one that looked very different. It was a full circle. And the missing piece said, what, what do you want of me? Nothing. What do you need from me? Nothing. Who are you? I am the big O, said the big O. And the missing piece said, I think you're the one I've been waiting for. Maybe I'm your missing piece. And the big O said, but I'm not missing a piece. There's no place you would fit. And the missing piece was sad. It said, that's too bad. I was hoping that, you know, maybe I could roll with you. The big O said, you can't roll with me, but 
maybe you can roll by yourself. And the missing piece said, by myself? A missing piece can't roll by itself. Big O said, have you ever tried? And the missing piece said, I have sharp corners. I'm not made for, for rolling. And the big O said, corners wear off and shapes change. But anyway, I have to, I have to go. Maybe we'll meet again. And it, and it rolled away. So the missing piece was alone again. And it just sat there for a long time. And then one day, it just lifted itself up. And it fell. And it lifted. And it flopped. And it pulled. And it flopped. And it started moving forward. And soon, its sharp edges began to wear off and round, and its shape began to change. And then it was bumping, bouncing, it was rolling, and it didn't know where it was going, and it didn't really care. It was rolling. And the end of the book, you see these two O's just rolling together. The end. Isn't that beautiful? The point here that I think that Shell is trying to make is that the purpose of a relationship, I mean, if we're talking about love, long-term love, the purpose of a relationship is not to be each other's source of growth or happiness or fill something that they feel like they're missing. I think the healthiest relationships are when both people are self-sustaining. When they can create happiness internally and don't seek out outside things. They don't rely on people to regulate their emotions or to provide them anything in life. I think the best relationships are two people who are whole and they come together and they complement one another and they bring out the best in each other. They highlight each other's strengths. And yes, they take care of each other. That's the difference between being in love and loving somebody and being attached to somebody. If your love is dependent on how the person is, it's going to be tough because people change all the time. From what I've learned in life, in family, in the working world, in dating, in just being a person existing in society. Relationships are the most important part of life. When you're at your deathbed, I think when you go the relationships, the people that you care about, the people that care about you, that's what you'll be thinking about. That's what will matter. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Love and relationships are a crazy, beautiful part of your extraordinary existence. And being great at those takes some time and intention. Just remember that every moment describes who you are and gives you the opportunity to decide if that's who you want to be. That's a little something I learned while I was in school at IPAC. Don't forget to support the podcast, Your Extraordinary Existence, by subscribing, leaving comments, and sharing this with all the awesome people in your life. It would mean so much to me, and your support really goes a long way. Thanks for being here, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.